0: good morning let's turn to Psalm chapter 1 the book of Psalms and the first Psalm chapter 1 let's all rise for the reading of God's Word how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked nor stand in the path of sinners nor sit in the seat of scoffers but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night but he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words of scripture, and we pray, Lord, that they will speak into our hearts and lives this morning. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations that are upon my heart be acceptable in your sight. Thank you, in Christ Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Now, this morning's message is entitled The Arbor and the Ardor of God. It's about trees and it's about the love of God. When I was growing up, uh, we had a a neighbor two doors away that my brother and I played with as children. So the, the, the neighbor was my age and he had a little sister that was about my brother's age. And we're like two years apart. And so we would team up and play tag. And so... My friend's little sister and I would be one team, and my little brother and my friend would be the other team. And we would play tag or things like capture the flag in a modified method. Now, my friend's sister was really fast, so they really couldn't outrun us. So what my brother and my friend would do is, they would climb this giant tree that was in the backyard of my neighbor. I still remember the tree and what it looked like. It was a very climbable tree. Now our parents probably told us never climb that tree, but they climbed it. We've, we almost never climbed it, this, uh, this, this little girl and I. So then what, what we would do when we got kind of tired of playing tag is we'd pick up dirt clods and throw it at each other. You know what a dirt clod is? You pick up a tuft of grass and with it comes dirt and you throw it at each other, which was better than throwing rocks, right? I think sometimes we have to do rocks, but dirt clods. So my brother and his friend, or my brother and yeah, my friend would climb up the tree and they would take that position of strength in this giant tree. Now, probably if I went back today, it probably is not so giant. It's probably like a medium sized tree. But back then it was a huge tree. And they had a couple of dirt clods in their hands and they would throw it down at us. But I knew something that they hadn't figured out. They never figured it out. They only had two dirt clods each. We had the whole ground. So we just kept throwing stuff at them and they had nothing to throw back. You know, they never figured that out. And so we used to play around this big tree. And then my brother and I, uh, we, uh, we would go into our backyard and we would play with the lemons off of our lemon tree. We had this incredible lemon tree. It produced myriads of lemons, good sized lemons. I told the junior highers a story once. I, I don't think I've ever told it in a sanctuary setting. All right, but I told it to the junior high in high schools about, I think it was last this year. One day, and my, my mother and father said, never throw things at animals. That was a rule. But we were little boys. And so one day, my brother and I were in the backyard. I used to pitch. That was one of my positions. And so we were there, and there were some doves walking around the backyard. And so then, um, I picked up a really round lemon about the size of a baseball. And I told my brother, watch this. And I went into a windup. And I threw it as hard as I could at this pigeon that was on the ground. Next thing I know, the head pops off. <laughs> I know, it's a terrible story, that's why I never told on Sundays, but this is my last month here. <laughs> All right, And so, and I was shocked. Because I really didn't think I was going to hit it but I hit it right on its head then my brother and I agreed and we we just felt so bad so then we took it and we buried it and even though we were going to church at Sunday school and I guess we saw this on TV so then we put a little cross <laughs> to mark the gravesite of this dove or this little pigeon and that story actually I keep thinking about that and from That day forth, I never really tried to throw anything at a little living creature except my brother. (laughs) I'd throw lemons at him, and he'd throw lemons at me. It's amazing the things you do growing up and how ignorant you are of the harm you can do if what you attempt to do actually gets carried out successfully. So children, listen to your parents. And if they say don't do something, try not to do it. Because it's for your good and the ger- good of all the little birds in the, in, the, in the world. Now, this message is about two things. It's about trees, and it's about God's love. And there's a purpose for it, which you'll under, find, come to an understanding in the middle of the message. Now, in the Great Basin, there is a Great Basin bristlecone pine tree named Methuselah. And it's in California. All right. And... Scientists, some scientists believe it is the oldest living thing on Earth. And they give estimates to the age, but that's insignificant to the fact that they believe that this quite possibly could be the oldest living thing on the face of the Earth. Now, the reason why it lives so long is, is, is twofold, at least twofold. One, the wood is really dense and very thick and hard. So things like insects, and fungal infections cannot penetrate the outer layer of the tree. So it's, been, it's impervious to outside diseases and bugs. The second thing is it's up there by itself, and very few things actually grow where this thing is growing. And so it doesn't have any competition in terms of nourishment and other things. So this tree has grown for years and centuries and multiple centuries. Where is this tree? They won't reveal it. Why don't you think they reveal the site of this tree? Because people want to go see it, right? Because they're afraid if they publicize where this tree is in the Inyo v- uh, Valley, vandals will destroy it. That's sort of the sin level of our society today. So they want to protect it from vandals. So it's in a witness protection program <laughs> for trees. But it's in California, it's in the California National Forest somewhere. And you know it's high up because there's hardly any other vegetation around it. So it's gotta be in the upper tundra. Trees are important to God. Here's some thoughts about the arbor of God. The arbor of God, arbor means tree. There are three living things that are mentioned the most in the Bible. Three living things. You can probably guess all three. One is God. He's mentioned throughout scripture. Two are human beings. They are living things mentioned throughout scripture. The third thing is trees. I mean, you can find other living things that are mentioned periodically in the scriptures like, like sheep, you know, like different, different kinds of animals. But trees are the third most mentioned thing in all of scripture. And I think trees play a major role in the Bible. Let me give you a few examples. In the Garden of Eden, besides Adam and Eve, what was there? And all the animals and stuff, what were there? Two trees, right? The two trees are the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they're very predominant in the first three chapters of Genesis the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God wanted Adam and Eve to eat from one tree and not the other. Eat from one tree and not the other. Uh, the purpose was very clear. I mean, but trees are important. We'll get to that in a minute, why he said that. In Exodus chapter 15, Moses takes a tree and he throws it into the bitter water of Merah, and it becomes sweet. He uses a tree. In Joel chapter 2, verse 22, Israel is known as a fig tree. And periodically they're referred to as a tree of figs. In Psalm 52, verse 8, David is made known as a young or um, a green olive tree. So David became associated with an olive tree. In Isaiah 53, verse 2, Jesus as the Messiah is described as one who grew up before him like a tender shoot like a root out of parched ground, and that references to a tree, the beginnings of a tree. Most of the major people or characters of the scriptures are associated with some sort of tree. In 42 years, I have been associated with trees, the evergreen tree or evergreen trees, which are trees that are green year-round. So it's not a particular species of tree, it's just like any tree that's green year-round is called an evergreen tree. And so we've been evergreen Baptist church of either Los Angeles or San Gabriel Valley for 42 years. So I've been associated with the tree. In the beginning, trees were given an assignment from God. Turn to Genesis chapter one. Off the top of your head, what was the assignment that God gave to trees? And that's just a rhetorical question. But God actually gave them an assignment In verse 29, look at the second portion of chapter one of Genesis. And every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. Trees were created to help human beings stay alive by producing foods. That was their assignment. There's one other thing trees provide us. What is it? Oxygen, right? Photosynthesis, the CO2, O2 exchange. Trees provide about 28% of the oxygen we breathe today So God gave trees a purpose to help sustain his creation called humanity. Jesus himself was a carpenter. What did he work with as a carpenter? He worked with wood that came from trees. Trees are important to God. Now you can do a similar kind of study with shepherds, with numbers, with all kinds of water in the scriptures, fire. And you can see, because none of scripture is ever wasted. So God, God has a special place in his heart for trees and it's revealed through Scripture let's, let's spend a couple of moments on the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil the two trees found in the Garden of Eden now the purpose of the tree of life was to give the partaker connectivity with God and eternal life Genesis 2 9 says this out of the ground the Lord God calls to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Two distinct trees that are actually named. Now, God created these two special trees for the Garden of Eden and for a purpose. The tree of life gave its partakers a divine connection with God and eternal life. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. Look at verse 22. See, eating from this tree would allow Adam and Eve to have eternal life or live forever. Consumption from this tree. It says in verse 22 of chapter three, then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. You know, for the point of disobedience, man man encountered sin and became sinful. And God did not intend or want man to live in sin for all eternity. And so he was banished from the garden so he would not partake of the tree of life, which granted that eternal life. So God wants to give us life and life eternal under certain conditions. And the condition has nothing to do with sin. In fact, avoidance of sin is the condition and forgiveness from sin. Now the purpose of the tree of knowledge of good and evil was human agency, human agency. Look at verse chapter two, verses 16 and 17. The Lord God commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat eat from it you you will surely die. So you see, Adam and Eve were instructed not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil as an act of obedience. And obedience to God is tantamount to loving God. Jesus says this in the 14th and 15th chapter of John. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. How do we know we love God? How can we demonstrate our love for God? By keeping his word, by being obedient to what he says in his word. There's no other way to love God, obey his word. And so when they partook of the tree of the the knowledge of good and evil, they were being disobedient to God. And that's the introduction of sin, disobedience to God's word. And so he banished them from the garden so that at that point in time, they wouldn't eat from the tree of life and live forever in sin. Let me share a few thoughts about trees and the senior pastor of Evergreen SGV. Actually, Evergreen in total. Trees and the senior pastor of Evergreen. Now, as I shared earlier, for 42 years, I've been associated with the evergreen tree or evergreen trees. Then once a decade, someone would come up to me and give me a particular verse as the Lord impressed upon them for me. Now how do I know it's every 10 years? Because I can recall someone saying it to me when we were at Second Evergreen. I also recall someone saying it to me when we were in Rosemead. And I recall someone saying this verse to me when we were at Campus Inn at Rio Hondo. And now I remember, very recently, somebody saying it to me here at our current campus. So the reason why I know it's every decade is because I associate it with a place. By the way, uh, every 10 years, something has happened. In our ministry. After ten years we moved out of out of East Los Angeles. All right, next ten year and next ten year we hived. And then the next ten year um, we, uh, we we found we found this site. Things have always happened in ten year increments in terms of, of my ministry and the and the life of our church family. All right so just recently more recently Itzco Teragao was sitting right here. Itzco Teragao came up to me and handed me a little devotional book. And she said, Pastor, this verse is for you from God. So I looked at the verse and it was Psalm 1-3. That's the verse. Once every 10 years or so, someone would give me Psalm 1-3 and say, this is for you. The first three times I took it seriously, but I didn't really commit it to anything. I thought, okay, that's a great verse, right? Then when Isco showed it to me, I said, this must be something really unique and special. Because I knew I was in, at the end of my tenure. So I took it even more seriously. I thought, well, maybe this is a verse that the Lord has for me in some unique and special way. Then sometime later, I went to EHOP, our Evergreen SGV House of Prayer. Then I went there, and this is a season where I was was praying about the transition. I was praying about my final season here at Evergreen SGV. And so I was open to the Lord speaking to me about those things. And so the Lord very distinctly told to me, and and I journaled it, that Psalm one three was his verse for my life in ministry. You know how sometimes you choose a life verse? Parents have chosen a life verse for their kids. Well, this is God's chosen life verse for me. Which was an awesome thought, because I've had a life verse or two. But this is the life verse from the Lord, and it was Psalm one three, And it was about a tree planted firmly beside streams of water. And so I was, I was thinking about this and I was dwelling upon it at Ehop. And then Pastor Terry was leading worship that night and he led a medley of two songs, Tree and Found Faithful. And so as we were singing that song, that's the first time I'd heard the songs. As we were singing it, the whole verse, at least the tree portion of it, was about Psalm 13, And that's the song Bethany sang this morning. And so we sang that. In fact, we sang that on consecutive Ehops. But the first EHop, when God had spoken to me about this being my life verse, we sang the song, and that just took the song and the idea and the concept that this was God's verse for me, and it just quickened it to my mind and deepened it in my heart. And I felt like, indeed, this may have been God's verse for me, lo, these 40 plus years. I thought it was an awesome thing that God actually had a verse for me. And so then sometime after that, I attended the San Gabriel Christian School Pastor's Breakfast. There weren't a whole lot of pastors there at that particular breakfast. And then they brought in the sixth grade class and they sang a song. And the song was called The Tree Song by Ken Madima. So then, as they sang that song, and it's a song about Psalm 13, and it's about a tree planted beside streams of water and how the, the young trees grow and they get advice from a bigger tree. And I thought, that's the picture that I've always had about our church family, that as I pastored the church, one of my heart's desire is that the little kids will grow up strong in the Lord, like little trees and, and learning from the big tree. So I'm Methuselah. <laughs> I'm not the oldest living tree in this church, though, but I'm still Methu- Meth- <laughs> Methuselah. All right? And the idea is we really wanted kids to grow up to know Jesus Christ. And to be strong in the Lord, to become trees that are planted beside streams of water. And so when I heard that, I thought, you know, I really would like that song at some point in our church. And so I asked and I recruited um, junior hires, high schoolers. And then uh, Naomi did a recruitment of the little ones. And there's going to be a joint choir, children's choir and youth choir at the luncheon. And they're going to tree- sing the tree song. And I going to go listen to it at 10 o'clock at rehearsal. And they did a really remarkable job. It is not easy for kids who have never sung in a choir before to come together as a choir, but God bless them. I think there's there maybe like 50 or 60 of them, right. And they're going to sing at the luncheon. So they'll be at the luncheon. But the idea is, actually, it's going to be a visual representation of what I felt like, like to see happen at our church over 42 years, you know, little trees growing up, and that they get planted beside streams of water and they grow strong in the Lord. So all this came to fruition in terms of my mind and heart uh, during that eHop, And I felt like, you know, I am so blessed that God actually had a verse for me in ministry. So Psalm 1-3 has been a description of 42 years of ministry. God has produced fruit, he has kept us from withering, and he has allowed us to be successful and prosper at all that we do and that comes from the Lord well how did they come from how do, what do we do all right turn to Psalm chapter 1 look at verses 1 and 2 now this you can incorporate into your life in some respects this can become a life first for you relative to what this verse actually is saying to us Psalm 1 1 and 2 how blessed is the man who walk does not walk in the counsel of the wicked nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. See, a tree or a person is firmly planted beside streams of water when he doesn't listen to bad counsel. That's the first thing. You gotta be careful. There's a lot of noise, ambient noise in the world today that interferes in what God says in his word. And if you hear that ambient noise and it's contradictory to what God's word says, do not listen to it. Because if you do, then you are a person who sits in the council of the wicked, you stand in the path of sinners, and you are sitting in the seat of scoffers. So people that say that, you know, God's word is, is not to be taken literally or it's not to be taken because of the cultural circumstances that surround the word compared to today, Those are scoffers. God's word and his principles, they stand forever. It does not wither. It's not like grass that withers. It is true, both yesterday, today, and forever. So one of the things to be like this tree is you don't sit at the seat of scoffers. And you trust God's word rather than what the world is trying to teach the church. A tree or person is firmly planted beside streams of water when he or she loves the word of God, that God's word is important to you. It's your instruction book for life. Then you become like that tree. That's why one of the things we did early on in the ministry is we found a curriculum for the children that taught the Bible. So when kids go through kindergarten through sixth and into high school, but mainly kindergarten through sixth grade, they get a steady diet of the word of God. And the Baptist literature back then didn't have the word of God in it. I mean, they had a scripture verse and then they talked about other things. And so we went with gospel light because gospel light told Bible stories and what they meant because we wanted our children to be filled with the word of God. To this day, we want our children to be filled with the word of God so that when they grow old, they will not depart from it. Even though they may wander for a season, a tree or person firmly planted beside streams of water. No, they're like that when they study the God's word. Not just read it, but it says they meditate upon it. They study the word of God. Now the one thing I've endeavored to do over 42 years of ministry is to remain faithful to God's word. So someone were to come up to me and say, well, this is one thing I think has been a hallmark of your 42 years, that you've been faithful to the word of God. That would be music to my ears because that has been the goal. Because when God's word is taught, when God's word is appropriated and assimilated into people's lives, they become like a tree planted beside stream of waters, And then it produces three things in people's lives. A fruitful harvest, no withering, and being prosperous in all that you do. And I skipped the whole section of the message, but that's all right. Sorry about that, Laura. I just need to get so into this message, because it blessed me so very much. Now really, when I, I remember one time I was, um, I was in with a group of ministers, and our church was growing, and God was blessing our church numerically in other ways. And they asked me, uh, "What do you attribute church growth to at evergreen?" And I said, well, one thing for sure is I tried my best to teach and preach the Word of God. And they were kind of dumbfounded. That's all? I said, well, I, that's really enough. I remember one of the men came back from a vacation. He was at a Baptist church that was really large and growing. He says, you know, I, got it. I, I was in there and then the pastor got up and all he did was teach all the Word of God. And I kept thinking, yeah, that's it. You teach and preach the Word of God And then God provides the growth. Being faithful to the Word of God. All your days, be faithful to the Word of God. Love it, study it, and apply it in your life. Then three things will happen. There'll be a harvest in your life. You'll produce fruit. Two, you won't wither. And three, God's gonna prosper you. You know, uh, this last year, because it's been an interesting year for me because Rocky's been head of staff, and since January, Rocky's actually been the acting senior pastor of the church, so there are times when I just have to twiddle my thumbs. Kids, you have no idea what that means, or big people do. You twiddle your thumbs, meaning you're kind of like, what am I supposed to do next? So I was wondering, well, where, where am I supposed to devote myself? So one of the things I've been doing over the years, first of my children and now for... for um, for uh, my grandkids as I coach. I coach at San Gabriel Christian School. I used to coach at Maranatha for my, for my girls in their high school, but so the last nine years or so I coached at San Gabriel Christian School. So this last year, um, the boys team, so a uh, year before I coached Kay, uh, Cameron, and there's a couple of pretty good teams in the league, but we took the championship, right? Then this year, not my last year, but this year, last year of ministry, I had the boys and we were short, relatively short. we played against one kid that was 6'6", all right? From China, 6'6", and we won the championship. And the Lord, the Lord this is what I think happened. God just decided to prosper me. I can't explain it, the boys were good. They did really well, they, they, they were just, love coaching the boys, love coaching the girls. But we've had good teams before and we've been close to the championship, but the last few years we didn't win the championship. Now, does God care who wins games? I think he does. By the way, he does care who wins. It may not be that you're gonna win, but nothing ever happens on this earth that God doesn't have a hand on. So if you say, God doesn't care who won the Super Bowl, then you're saying that, well, there's some things that God doesn't care about. And that can translate into your life. That maybe there's some things that are kind of insignificant in my life. God doesn't care about it. God cares about everything. So just because if we didn't win the championship, it doesn't mean God doesn't care for us. But he cares who won that championship. Are you following what I'm saying? Because I don't want anybody in our church to ever feel like, you know, there's some things that are are insignificant that God doesn't care about. And then you transpose that into your own life. Man, there's something in my life that's not that standard. God probably doesn't care. He's got so many other things to do, He cares. Nothing passes the face of this earth without God caring about it. So I always thought that, I think that Psalm 1-3 happening in this little area of my life that God does care about. So next, next year out of ministry, we'll probably lose. Hey, He still cares. It'll still be a great season. Let me speak briefly about the ardor of God or the love of God. Oh, by the way, part of the reason why I'm sharing this is so that you know what's going on at the luncheon. So when the songs are sung, you'll know why the song is sung. So at least you'll be in the know. And that this, I'll try to explain it briefly at the luncheon. But this, to me, this has been significant because God has blessed our church. See, the, the harvest and the, and the lack of withering and the, the prosperity that God has given us that's all about the church, his church. It's amazing what God has done over the years. All we need to do is be faithful to his word so that he can plant us beside that stream and these things happen. And that's directly what can happen in your life. Obey the word of God. Study it. Embrace it. Love it. Meditate upon it. And then the things of Psalm one will come to pass in your life. Maybe not the way you think it should be come, come to pass, but it will come to pass. The ardor or love of God was demonstrated when he exiled Adam and Eve. He loved them so much he didn't want them to live in perpetual sin. Then God's ardor or love continued to be demonstrated throughout the Bible. Because the Bible is really a book of redemption from Genesis to Revelation. It's God's way of redeeming humanity back so they can consume from the tree of life. And God's story of redemption culminates with his son Jesus dying on a cross. What was a cross? Two pieces of wood put together. Now Jesus was not crucified on a literal tree. But oftentimes in scriptures you'll say that he was crucified or Messiah was crucified on a tree. Why is that reference made? Because wood and tree are made out of the same substance. And the word for cross in the New Testament is interchangeable with the word for tree. So whenever you say he died on a cross, you could very well say he died on a tree because they're of the same substance. And only a wooden cross or a tree could bring damage to the son of God. Only a wooden cross or a tree could bring ultimate damage to God's son. It wasn't the whipping, it wasn't the crown of thorns. He suffered and he endured that, but what really brought damage to the Son of God? Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 21. Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 22 and 23. Deuteronomy, this is the law. It's talking about a man who who committed a sin that is worthy of death, worthy of capital punishment. And this is what verse 22 begins to say. If a man has committed a sin worthy of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his corpse shall not hang all night on the tree, but you shall surely bury him on the same day. Mindful of something? For he who is hanged is accursed of God. He who was hanged on a tree is accursed of God. So what happened when Jesus hung on the cross for our sins? He took on the wrath of God and he was accursed of God for that moment he hung on the cross. All the sins of the world, your sin, my sin, sins to come, sins that were, they all came upon Jesus. That was God's wrath upon his son. And it's that man on the cross that is accursed of God. And that's why Jesus had to die on a cross. Think about it, the Romans invented this, right? Who would have thunk it? The Romans invented a style of execution that was ultimately gonna serve God's purpose. And that's the way it is with God. He is so sovereign that he can use the things of this world and redeem it for his purposes. So nothing can ever happen in your life that God can't place his hand upon and redeem it. Nothing. A decision by a secular boss, God's in control somehow. The decision by Pilate to execute Jesus, serve God's purpose. The school you get into because of this, that or the other, lack of scholarship, unable to get in because of grade point average or your SAT scores, God has a hand in that. There is nothing that can happen in your life that God cannot redeem with his touch. And he'll have a purpose to which you will eventually say, amen, praise the Lord, and all glory be to God. You just have to stick it out and sustain through it. So on the cross, on a tree, Jesus took the sins of the world upon himself and hung accursed on our behalf. So then the cross of Jesus has now become our tree of life. Because when we partake of Jesus' death, when we partake of his death on a tree, we are are partaking of God's new tree of life It's part of the new covenant found in Jesus' blood. This morning we have the blessing of taking communion together as a church family. In part, communion represents our eternal life as secured by Jesus on a tree. We're going to spend some time meditating upon it. You know, the, the wafers represent his broken body. The juice represents his spilt blood, which is the new covenant, as Jesus proclaimed. If you confess the name of Jesus, you're welcome to come through down any of the three center aisles and go to any of the six tables as directed by the ushers. And then please return by the outer aisles. And then there's prayer ministry on both sides if you'd like to receive prayer this morning. We'd love to pray for you and have you prayed over. Shirley Ogata is gonna be singing a blessed human, communion song, it's one of my favorite songs, and happens to be a communion song. And so while she's singing, accompanied by Anthony G, who used to be the predominant worship leader back at Second and Evergreen Days, along with his son, Daniel, who'll be on the uh, cello. They'll be sharing this song with you. It's a wonderful and beautiful song. Karen Lafferty wrote this song. This is when churches used to expand. This is the beginning of church expansion of music. And today we have things like Hillsong. Back then it was Calvary Chapel. And she was at the forefront of that movement of producing songs within the church, new contemporary songs. And one day, Karen Lafferty and I did a concert together. I didn't sing. (laughs) But I didn't have to tell you that, huh? So I, I presented the gospel. And she, and she presented a concert. And this has been my, one of my favorite songs since then. It's a song that I think ministers to a soul. It's a sweet communion we have with Jesus through the table and just through knowing him via his blood. And so if you don't mind just sitting and meditating, and then at the end of the song, the servers will come forward, prepare the tables, and then we will partake together in communion. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for communion. We thank you for the loaf and the cup and for what it represents. Father, we thank you for the song as written by Karen Lafferty and how much it's ministered to people over all these decades. Father, we indeed have sweet communion with you because of the price your son paid at Calvary on that tree so that we can have, we can partake of a different kind of tree of life, which has the same net result, our forgiveness of sin and then eternal life. Thank you, Father. Thank you for what communion represents and how sweet it is in jesus name amen